I was always very modest, really didn't think of myself as being particularly smart or unusual. I just thought I was more interested in certain topics than other people, but that sometimes I find a technical subject just becomes absolutely fascinating to me. I can't think about anything else. When you learn a new computer technology, you can immediately put it to work by writing the software and be able to do things you couldn't do before. That I'm amazingly productive during these times. I can write amount of software programs that would take a normal person months and months to write and I can just do it in a few days because I'm so excited and driven and obsessed with it. It's always been something unique that I've had. That was a lot of what has made me decide to work with computers because that is what I have done throughout my career. The rule breakers, the rule breakers, the misfits, the misfits, not the status quo, the status quo. This is, this is, thriller lining, thriller lining. Today on Thriller Lightning, I get to interview my friend Thomas Johns. He is somebody that I've been wanting to talk with and, and have here at Pleb Lab for a long time. <laughs> we talk about that in the podcast. Um, his company, Moonbase 5, is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, it's amazing in not just what it's trying to do, but it's amazing in that its use case is something that I don't think anybody in the space is doing right now. And I think what Thomas has constructed here is quite frankly, not an easy feat. And hearing his story and where he's coming from, I understand why he wants to build and why he wants to do the things he wants to do in Bitcoin. And we just kind of have a chat. We, we, we get into a lot of different subjects about uh, building on Bitcoin. We, we talk about, you know, uh, about how he grew up and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about Moonbase 5. Um, and I think this is a conversation that every Bitcoiner should hear because it's a conversation that uh, is relative to, you know, some of the stuff that we see in the industry today when we're dealing with payment processors or, or we're dealing with, you know, the rest of the Bitcoin industry and, and how we see ourselves in it. And a lot of people that just came in now and, and are starting these new kind of Bitcoin lightning startups and, and kind of what do we see, you know, as these newcomers. So it's uh, I think it's a relatively, you know, fresh podcast. And I think a lot of people will, will get something out of it. And, and quite frankly, I, I really just wanted to talk to Thomas because I, the man is just uh, is on another level 
um, intellectually. And uh, I'm always a sucker for uh, intellectual talk because I could just get get to sit there and listen and soak it all up. So hope you all enjoy. lifetime we have the ability for the little man to also be a king and it's not just the little man like everybody in the bitcoin world is a king everybody in the bitcoin world can be a hero and we've never had that ability before and what i see is going to happen is that rights risk and responsibilities we're going to all have to come together and really learn how to govern not just ourselves as individuals, but ourselves as our communities and really have a new type of responsibility that we necessarily haven't had. Large amounts of freedom also comes large amounts of responsibility. I think that the whole world is going to change. And I I think it's going to be a beautiful change, but I also believe that it's going to be a very scary change. Stoic philosopher Epictetus would say, only the educated are free. And really what that means is not only those have, that have gone to college are free, but only those who have drawn forth from within that will to succeed, but that will to go on are free. And I, I believe now we're starting to have the tools and abilities to build systems for people to truly express and truly become free. Won't you think about you and I just grab my hand and look me in the eye? Look, this ain't something you should decide. This ain't something that you should decide. Won't you think about you and I? Just grab my hand and look me in the eye. Look, this ain't something you should decide. This ain't something that you should decide. Thanks, Thomas, for coming on the show today. Oh, you're so welcome. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you know, we have you in Pleb Lab now. No one really knows this, but uh, we secretly convinced Thomas. Well, actually, I've stalked Thomas since October of last year <laughs> and convinced him and begged him to come to Pleb Lab. And then we we got him into Pleb Lab and it's just like we got initially nailed with like how hard it is to like do like banking. Do you want, do you want to just start there real quick? Like, or do you rather not talk about that? Yeah, we can, we can start there. 
it is very interesting how hard it is to start dealing with crypto or Bitcoin in particular and traditional finance. And a lot of the rails that we already have for traditional finance, your stripes, your even your normal banks don't really like Bitcoin and they consider it a, a high risk uh, sort of institution, a high risk thing to go into. So you really have to go through and find different channels to do this. And we don't, this is just so how early we are in Bitcoin. It's, these tools do not exist. So there's a lot of opportunity for people to build these tools. Yeah, it was just so like, I was so excited to get you in. I met you at Bitblock Boom. And like, um, I was like, who's this young man? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. He has swag though. <laughs> and, um, but he has a lot of heart. There's a lot of intensity there. Brilliant. Like, brilliant, dude. Like, I, w- I was just really impressed by you. And then um, I remember telling Kyle, I was like, Kyle, at the time we didn't have anything. I think all we had was like Austin Bitcoin Club. But I remember telling Kyle, I was like, dude, I don't know who this guy was, but I, w- I want to like stay in his like solar system, like somehow, some way. And then I, I, think, I think I saw you again at the mm-hmm. Texas Blockchain Count or thing here at the AT&T yeah. Center. Yeah. And then you're like, car, car. <laughs> and I was just with a bunch of like Ethereum people and blockchain oh. people and like, yeah, dude. So you saved me that day. <laughs> I remember you looking up, like, kind of upset. Actually, I, I, I was. I was yeah. just like, just a bunch of like. Uh-huh. I was like, what am I doing here? But I was there just to support Jimmy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and Lee. But like, and then I saw you. Like, I was like, hey, what's up? And then like, you were telling me like all the good things that are happening. I was like, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. Uh, and I think the, when was the last time I saw you after that? Was that the last time I saw you? It, it was either at Bit Devs or at. Probably bid devs, right? Probably bid devs. Yeah, I think I saw. I think the next time I saw you was at bid devs. Because you didn't go to Tabcom, did you? No, no, no. Yeah. I know. I think Keon. Keon did. Keon saw you. Did mm-hmm. Keon talk to you? A little bit, not a lot. Okay, so maybe Keon came back and told me. And then by that point, we already had Pleb Lab, mm-hmm. and I was just telling Kyle, I was like, I don't, I don't know how what we got to do. But we got to get Thomas in here, and he just kept saying, "We don't have room. We don't have room." I was like, "I don't care. Just like make room." <laughs> <laughs> and like and like oh, oh, like over time I just kind of like I kind of like forced it to happen in a lot of ways <laughs> car got his way even though like sometimes it wasn't you know but at the end of the day I just want to help people you know and that's what I love about you and when you were saying what really I think pushed me over the edge is when you were explaining Lab and how you were looking at things and I was seeing someone who was looking at things the way that new, or how you were describing how new music labels look at things. Like, let's look at it almost in a punk rock kind of way. Yeah. And I, I love that. I love that. Because you can, you can go at things a, a different way. How do I say? Sort of, sort of that kind of almost fucked the, the system. You could say that. Yeah. How do you say it? Like you're, we're going against the system, against the grain. We're doing things our way, but we're also being massively good at it and learning as we're going, you know? Yeah. I think that was something that, you know, I, I saw last year. Mm-hmm. And it was just, um, I have tremendous respect personally for a lot of people that have come before us. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people in Austin that have come before us laid the foundation. So I wouldn't even be in this position to even do the things that we're able to do here at Pleb Lab. But um, if it wasn't for those, that foundation, but having said that, 
there's a lot of stuff that I see in the industry right now coming in, fresh eyes, full bit, full Bitcoin mm-hmm. time clock. And I'm like, I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah. I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't do it that way. This is how I would do it. And that's what I like about what me and Kyle and Keon do is like, we just look at it and we're like, nah, we're going to do it this way. And we just been kind of doing it the way we want to do it. And it's been working, I think. Yeah. You know, when I'm looking at the designs of everything you guys are doing, what I'm liking about it is one is oscillating between silly and serious, which I really love, but also that's the way the world is moving towards too. So having basically showing some cynicism towards the way that things have been done, but having hope that things can change. Right. And you guys have been embodying that, not in just the graphics or who you're selecting to be part of it, but in everything that you're you're doing. And it's I think the term for it is what they're they're using for it is called meta modern. And so you Oh, interesting. Yeah, is that what it's called? That's what it's called. So it's not postmodern. Postmodern is your MTVs. And when they first came out, uh MTV was sort of radical, very cynical. Get, get rid of everything nihilistic in a, in a lot of ways. So right. get rid of, whereas you guys aren't nihilistic. You have that sort of silliness and you do poke fun at the w- way that old things have been done. But you also have that hope that you can actually make tools that make things better. Yeah. And I, I really, I really believe that we're in this kind of like paradigm shift. And this is where I, I get it from, like Marty and Matt, who I, you know, who I talk to on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. you know. And um, they've always stressed to me, this is where I'm like super lucky, right? Like I, I know how blessed I am, mm-hmm. like extremely blessed. Mm-hmm. So not, I, not for a second do I not know how blessed I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, working with those two guys on a weekly, mm-hmm. um, learning from them mm-hmm. has been like, massive for me because I already had a media background Mm -hmm. but not on their level right (laughs) like not even near their level so I'm learning from them Mm -hmm. who are like I don't want to use the word that they're gonna kill me for saying but like learning from them like I I I realize now that we're in a paradigm shift and um, we could we could easily remake a lot of the things that we do as Bitcoiners for this new world, but we choose not to. And I see it time and time and time and time again in the Bitcoin industry. And it 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 doesn't like get me mad or, or make me upset with the person that's doing it or the company or, or right. the media company that's doing it. It just makes me kind of just saddened because I'm just like, like you just like laid up the putt. Like you could have like, you know, you could have shot a hole in one or at least tried to and then you would have two putted it in. But like you went on, you went for the par, you know? And it's just like, I don't know, man. I just, I just, I just get really saddened. That's and like when me and Kyle always try to do, and Keon, like we always try to do score for the hole in one. Yeah. Like that's why we always post like bulls, like dunks and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. not about like we're dunking on anybody. No, it's just like we we want to dunk on the old establishment. Right. That's what that's about. And I think right. people in the industry think like we're dunking on our competitors. No, it's like we're dunking on the old establishment. We're dunking on like the NBCs, the ABCs. You know, CBS's and all those people. That's a 
that's an interesting point because when you look at so Bitcoin is represents this new financial model essentially, and every time a new financial thing, a new type of investment has come out, you have these new media organizations that come out with it. For instance, for all traditional finance, you have your Wall Street journals, and then when the more quantitative uh, types of finance started to come out, you started having your Bloomberg's and stuff like that. And now that Bitcoin is out. You're what is, seeing it already, right? Yeah. Like you're seeing Bitcoin Magazine come out, right? right? You're seeing Stacker News come out. Right. You're seeing what Marty's doing with TFTC. You're right. seeing Bitcoin TV. Right. Uh, you're even seeing local newspapers come out, right? right. Like with what Remy and I are doing with right. Thriller Bitcoin. Right. So yeah, dude, you're 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 right on it, Thomas. Yeah. Like this is not a this is not by accident. Right. There's a lot of people who are already on this wave. It's just gonna it's gonna take the rest of the industry to catch up really quickly. And then once the rest of the industry catches up. Then it's going to take the old um, media to catch up. And then they come start buying up all these Bitcoin, Bitcoin companies. And that's what happened. That's the exact same thing that happened in the 90s and in the early 2000s, right? So it's like, it, this is the same same story. It's just a different song. Yeah, the, if the big companies want to survive, they'll buy up. Yeah, they have companies. to. Right. Right, they have to. Right. So like, um, but let's talk about Moonbase 5. Okay, awesome. Moonbase 5. So what about Moonbase 5 would you like to talk about? I just, I want to hear, for you know what, like before, actually before we jump into Moonbase mm -hmm. 5, tell me about, tell me about Thomas, the young man growing up. Because you're from Dallas, right? No, I'm from Houston originally. You're from Houston originally? So tell right. me about, tell me about Thomas growing up. I mean, you tell me a little bit since we've been kind of hanging out, mm -hmm. you know, over the course of a couple of weeks here. And like, you know, I hear a little bit snippet here, I hear a little snippet there. Yeah. I know you do music production like mm -hmm. me. We're talking about some beats and I heard some of your songs and stuff and it sounds really amazing. But like, tell me about Thomas, the young man growing up, you know, as a kid, like, were you into sports? Were you into like video games? Were you into computers? Like, were you into like Monopoly? Like, what were you? What were you into? Like golf? Like, like what was it? Ah, uh, as a kid, what I was actually into was a uh, trying to be Jackie Chan. Really? Yeah, that's all I did. <laughs> oh snap! My dude. little sister would say, you know, playing tag with me was terrifying because Why? I could be anywhere at any moment, and I could come and actually like attack you from anywhere. So it's, you, it was. She said it was terrifying. I could be on the roof. And I didn't need a ladder, you know, so that kind of thing. I loved just jumping off of things, climbing things, taking risks and rolling when I hit the ground. Um, so that was that was the big thing that I was trying to do a lot. I, I mean, besides playing basketball all the time, I, I really wanted to be Allen Iverson. And that's kind of an odd thing because everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan. But I love AI. Yeah, I love Allen Iverson and really how he was just like, Fuck the system. And he really changed a lot of things. Crossed Michael Jordan, you know. He was, was the only one. And this is like, this is what I love about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Sorry to cut you off. No. But just real quick, because this relates to AI. Mm -hmm. It's like, he was the only one that stayed true to himself when he got in the league. Because they would give him shit with his cornrows. They would right. give him shit the way he dressed. Right. Because he was straight up just like, this is who I am. So right. fuck off. And like, everybody would say, well, you have to wear a suit. You have to wear this. Yeah. And he'd be like, no, this is who I am, bro. And like literally, and everybody around him would be like, what? And if it wasn't for AI, like you wouldn't have the style that uh, the NBA has today. The, not the, even just the physical clothing style. He really created that 
dual point guard, shooting guard role. Oh, that too. That Steph Curry is now. So you wouldn't even have that. And then you also get another example of uh, the role that media plays. Because I had a friend, his dad, his dad was Purvis Short, actually, who was called a rainbow shooter. And uh, he was in charge at this time of, like, teaching people new new players how to actually behave in front of the media. Uh, and what he was saying about Allen Iverson was he was the nicest person you could ever meet in your entire life. And the media is just really makes him look at like this villain. But he's just the nicest person that you could ever meet. Like, even at practice, you know, when he was talking about the practice, practice, practice. <laughs> talking about practice? Talking about pra- his, his, what people don't, the media never said was his, his best friend had just died. Oh, man. And that's why he was so upset that they were talking about practice. So he, that's why he missed practice? Yes. Fudge. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I practice all the time. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't get this good without practice. You talk about practice? Practice? <laughs> and he, they, he says, my friend just died. <laughs> Dang, and they just man. replayed they him took, saying practice. They over took it over. out of context. They took it out of context. And we, we see that so much. And then you, you also see that, like, with minorities with with people who have come from uh quote unquote disadvantaged you know mm-hmm. households there's all of these they've done all of these things they have all these abilities and and resources and very resourceful and stuff like that and the outside world looks at them like this villain you know right. they you know yeah. they, they vilify them and really just kind of make fun of it you know yeah, and it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I've definitely, I've definitely felt what you're talking about throughout my life. Um, it wasn't until I got older. Um, I had I had this uh, this uh, manager at mm-hmm. this job one time. Yeah, uh, he really locked it in for me. Like <laughs> I, I love this man, um, Newman. If you're listening, mm-hmm. I love you, bro. Um, he's probably not listening. <laughs> Maybe he is. He might be listening. But um, he told me one day. He's like, Car. It's like, you got to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he really cared about me. He's a, he's a big older brother. He's like, Carr, you got to ask yourself. He's like, what kind of man do you want to be to the people around you? But the bigger question is, what kind of man do you want to be to the people that you don't know? Mm-hmm. I was like, what? What does that even mean? So he's like, go think about that. We'll talk about it tomorrow. I was like, what does that even mean? So I went to go think about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what he meant was like, when you go to the grocery store, when you like are walking around town, like when you're just like by yourself, like like the person you are to others, like in in the world, you know, you know the movies, like I- anywhere you are, like to the homeless man walking down the street, like mm-hmm. whoever you are in that person, that's who you really are. So it's good to be that person twenty four seven. That's just how I got it. And the next day, I started trying to live like that. I'm right. not perfect. But like every day I try to live like like the same person throughout the day, no matter what. Like you're gonna get the same car regardless. Yeah, my my dad tried to teach me the same thing. He would say it in a way, always be the man standing tall. Okay. And basically what he was he was trying to say is you always wanna be the person that other people I guess wish they could be. So when you're when you're you're moving through the world, you want to always be courageous, live with courage, courage, because even though people may vilify you, they also admire you. 
And so you always want to be that man that's that's standing tall, standing tall in their conviction, standing tall in their character. Even if it's wrong, quote unquote, I still admire the people who stand tall. That's true. I, I definitely do that as well, too. Were you close with your dad? Yeah, yeah. No, very close. Very close. Uh, my parents were divorced. And so having divorced parents is always interesting. At what age? Mm, I don't know. Maybe four. Oh, wow. Yeah, my, my parents got divorced maybe like 10, 11, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you got to kind of remember before it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I feel like my younger brother, younger sister really didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, me, I had like a little bit of memories. Like, um, But then I had this awesome stepdad. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this. I don't, I don't think know. I've ever talked about this. Mm-hmm publicly but um he was an african-american guy mm-hmm. um and that's probably where i got all my swag from honestly <laughs> <laughs> no but uh he taught me a lot about like um just like how to be a, a good man a good christian man um and so like i i would see this man like he had his own business uh, he paid everything cash mm-hmm. like he took care of his friends took care of his family and dude, that man would like make us Thanksgiving dinner, mm. like take care of all of us. Like if I asked him for money, he would give me money. He was just a good man. Yeah. Um, to this day, whenever I think of like when I raise my family, I'm gonna raise them exactly like the way Rick did. Like, wow. Like um, he was somebody I really looked up to. He died when I was like 24, mm. uh, which was a really low point in my life. But I will say though, like I learned a lot from that man because um, if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have been able to like go without like a father figure yeah in my life mm-hmm. it would have been really hard plus he he got me into like a lot of really good music like a lot of soul right. Motown stuff uh, bob marley just like oh, a lot of hip-hop to tupac a lot of that stuff and that's that's probably why um it's probably why i have like a lot of different um genre blending things that i get into i think that's also the interesting part about being in a, a blended family is mm-hmm. you also become a blended person. Yeah. It, will, it well rounds you as a person because you oftentimes have to deal in two different worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, yeah. Yeah, and he, yeah so he would, bring, he would bring me into the hood and he'd be like, this is my stepson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I would be like, oh, snap. I guess, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> um, but it would be, it would be funny. Um, but like everybody around me would just be like, "Hey, what's up? What's up?" Like mm-hmm. it would it would be cool, and I'd be like, "Man, everybody's so much faster than me." <laughs> I'd be like, "What the fuck's going on?" Because I was just a little kid, yeah. you know. I didn't know anything. Yeah. Um. But then you start getting better, mm-hmm. and then like you're like, "Oh, okay." Like, but it, it was it was interesting. It also sounds like he was treating you like no different from no yeah no different yeah yeah because he had his son too. Marcus yeah. and uh, me and him used to hang out all the time and we would go. He was really smart. He was a lot smarter than I was mm-hmm. um, when it came to like all the subjects and stuff. I was more the artistic one. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. I, How I, did you grow up? Because you, you said that you had you, like you had divor- divorce early on. So how did you grow up? How did you deal with it? It was it was difficult in a lot of ways. And, you know, when your parents divorce early sometimes you could blame yourself really okay some 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 kids do uh because you you don't understand what's going on really 
I won't say that I always blame myself, but it, there might have been some instances where I did. But my my dad, my mother remarried, and my father didn't. But the my brother and sister, he always treated them like they were his kids. So whenever I would go see him on the weekends, my brother and sister would come too. Uh, because the person she remarried actually passed away. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and my grandfather would tell told my dad, hey, you know, if you had passed away, you want someone to take care of your kids. So he would always make sure that he didn't treat me any different than them. One, because you could create animosity between the two. Like, this is your dad. This is my dad. Yeah. And then you're not actually like brother and sister. Absolutely, like, yeah. So that's that's kind of a problem. But he always made sure uh, that that didn't happen. But it also taught me, like, how to treat people. Because my dad's a lawyer, but when I was a kid, if a kid came in, if if a kid's coming into a lawyer office, it's a problem. And so it's never a good reason why a kid's coming into a lawyer office. So he would always have, like, toys for them. So here's a, here's a free toy for them. And it, he always kept, like, free toys for, like, just kids that he saw and everything. And just always, always giving uh, and trying to give in ways that would help the person. You know, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, try to be future oriented. He taught me, he taught me a, a a lot about that. And then he also taught me like he was this business. He is this business guy. He he majored in business, but uh, then went into law. One of the stories he told me was he went out to California when the com- personal computer and computers were just starting to get oh, big. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like in the 80s, 70s? Yeah, like or, 70s, yeah. 80s time. Wow, dude. And he was like, he wanted to get on at the IBMs and Apples and stuff like that. So he was sleeping on the beach, working at Radio Shack. And he was never able to get in, but he was just, he was just talking about like that sort of mentality, like going out there, making stuff happen and taking a risk like that. And so I don't know. I, I don't know if that's he ingrained those ideas in me from his stories or if it's like a a genetic thing but probably a genetic thing <laughs> you know it's yeah like definitely both. it's both yeah. yeah for sure yeah and maybe he just like slowly <laughs> right <laughs> dropped those in you because he probably saw that you had a little, little bit of that no in he you, hates maybe? that i do that stuff too. oh really yeah absolutely now he it. does or always has like as a kid he made me promise that i would never ride a motorcycle oh dude i love riding motorcycles right and and then it he would, he would, every time I see him, he would make me promise this. And then it comes out, my granny, my grand, granny was like, you made him promise you would never ride a motorcycle? You used to ride a motorcycle <laughs> every single day. <laughs> in the rain, in the snow, like, yeah. we were always on That's the motorcycle. Fun. <laughs> right, right. So, like, he, I think he hates it because he sees himself. In you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah, growing up. What can you do? You no, know, you can't really. That's kids <laughs> in general. You they're going to do a lot of the things that you do just because they're around you. And the actions and mental uh, frameworks that you have, you're imparting them to to them, and they're going to evolve in a similar way because of those mental frameworks. That's interesting. Yeah. So so tell me how you got into Bitcoin. I, I don't think you've ever told me how you got into Bitcoin. So I knew about Bitcoin 23. Mm, 2010 and like everybody else I didn't get in 
I was like, Bitcoin's going to win. I actually was, and I, I actually would say things like, uh, Ripple might end up. <laughs> it's okay, bro. We all, we all held Ripple right, right, at one right. time. We're well, I never held Ripple, but I. Oh, what, good for you. What I thought was going to happen was because the banks were so yeah, that's... in the Ripple. They, they they like they like those damn ripple people really because like they, sold that right no it's because one of the founders is like a Morgan it's like a J P Morgan's great grandson or something like that oh really yeah they're related Dang. yeah so that's why how did they lose then <laughs> right right <laughs> I was like man how did you how did you lose so it, they probably got greedy I think he ended up dying oh um, yeah been on the wrong horse yeah so <laughs> it was should have been on Klaus Schwab right so I don't even know who that is but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was in that but I ended up graduating um, in electrical engineering while I was doing electrical engineering every project that I did was some sort of banking thing oh um, cool yeah so electrical engineering you can go the hardware route you can go the software route and I went to software rap. And um, when I graduated, I, I worked some years at, at Nokia. Uh, but the whole time I was in school, so my family, they said, hey, uh, you have to go and continue the family legacy. So the whole time. Really? Yeah. They threw that on you? Yeah, yeah. That. Why? Well, <sighs> what is that like? My, my parents never did that to me. My mom, bless her heart. My mm -hmm. mom was like, "Car, you can do whatever you want." Mind you, my mm -hmm. brothers and sisters said I was spoiled mm. and that I was a favorite because mm. I was a middle child mm -hmm. and I was named after her dad. Wow! And I was a home birth. So there's a lot of that came to with it. Mm -hmm. I definitely was spoiled. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> this is why I do whatever I want. <laughs> but uh, yeah, luckily that didn't happen to you. But like, how, how, what does that feel like first to be uh, told that? It didn't matter to me. Um, the reason why was because I had already felt that way from the beginning. From the beginning, that's how I'd already felt. Damn. And I'm a on my for my father and for that family. I'm the only child. The I'm, only male. I'm the only child. Wait, I thought you said you had two other. I have two brothers and I have a brother and sister, but that's not. They're from my stepfather. They're, oh. they're technically not from the from the Johns family. Gotcha. So like the grandparents and dad, they were like. Yeah, you got to continue. Make sure you, you need to Damn. do something cool and you need to live. You know, survive. You know, I'm starting to see this trend. Mm -hmm. Damn it, I hate to say this. What? No, I'm not going to say it. But no, go ahead. Well, I've been talking to a lot of Lightning developers. Mm -hmm. And you're the second person I've talked to mm -hmm. where they feel like they had to do something. Uh -huh. And now they're not doing what their family told them. And they went and did Bitcoin instead. Well, so... I don't feel like I'm not doing what my family told me. Oh, really? Me. No. Oh, okay, so no. explain that. Well, they didn't tell me what to do. <laughs> so they just said I needed to continue the legacy. They didn't tell me what to do. Oh, per se. okay. So, oh, so they didn't tell you what you needed to right. do. Oh, okay, cool. Right. Oh, so I thought it was like be a lawyer or something. No, they actually never, never said be a lawyer. One, being a lawyer is hard as hell. Yeah. It's very hard. Like, I grew up watching my dad uh, get, you know, three o'clock calls at night. And stuff like that. You have to go and and do such and such, and and also he would take me to the prisons with him. <sighs> Scary dude. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember as a kid, I was like uh, shocked. It was shocked, but I was like, well, at least they get to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember my dad said, "Not every day, son. Not every day. <laughs> Damn. Not every day. But but yeah, I don't feel like I'm. To me, lightning, not just lightning, but Bitcoin, like you say, is representing this new paradigm. And for once in our lifetime, we have the ability for the little man to also be a king. And it's not just the little man, like everybody in the Bitcoin world is a king. Everybody in the Bitcoin world can be a hero. And we've never had that ability before. And what I see is going to happen is that rights, risk, and responsibilities, we're going to all have to come together and really learn how to govern not just ourselves as individuals, but ourselves as our communities and really have a new type of responsibility that we necessarily haven't had. And I think that freedom, because with large amounts of freedom also comes large amounts of responsibility. I think that the whole world is going to change. And I, I think it's going to be a beautiful change, but I also believe that it's going to be a very scary change. So you know, how I typically say, I'll, I'll say, I'll talk about education. The root word of education is like educe, which means to draw forth from within. And the Stoic philosopher Epictetus would say, only the educated are free. And really what that means is not only those have, that have gone to college are free, but only those who have drawn forth from within that will to succeed, but that will to go on are free. And I, I believe now we're starting to have the tools and abilities to build systems for people to truly express and truly become free. And that's what I'm so excited about. That's so beautiful. <laughs> um, amen. Amen. Wow. Amen. God, I want to hear that on Sunday. <laughs> right? That was so magical. I love it. Gosh. Wow. So no wonder you spoke at the UN. Right. I'm going to drop that right now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. My man right here, Thomas Johns, Spoke at the UN mm -hmm. at the young, ripe age of 23? 25. 25. Mm -hmm. Still amazing. How, when, or yeah, I guess how and like, yeah, how did, how did, how did that come about? Do you want to share that? Yeah. Can you share so, that? Yeah, like, yeah, I, I think that's pretty, I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. It was, it was amazing. And, you know. When doing it, I had a large sense of imposter syndrome, something that I think we all struggle with as entrepreneurs. For sure. But um, what happened was I ended up writing this book on large-scale organizational change with this guy that helped Nessa Mandela and F.W. DeClerc get rid of apartheid, and also this guy who made uh, the Russian version of PayPal. And it's great. She is like my aunt. Uh, Rika Villiam, uh, shouts to her if she ever hears this. Uh, she's a consultant out of South Africa. We wrote this book together on that. And from there, I ended up getting introduced to people. And I spoke at the UN, and I wasn't addressing the General Assembly. I was addressing high net worth families. Mm -hmm. And so these are families like the Toyota family, the this family, the that family. And what I learned was... The problems that you're talking about, like, what does it feel like to have the legacy put on you? They deal with at a hundred times. 
every everyone in that family is tr- oftentimes trying to figure out what to do with this wealth that they not necess- they didn't necessarily earn and they're also trying to figure out how to continue the legacy but also sometimes shift it into something that is positive because sometimes the way the the money was earned was not necessarily sometimes it was they took advantage of poor people and so there was wanted me to talk about large scale organizational change and I, and that's interesting can yeah. you can you can you go a little can you further explain a little bit cuz I, I this is something that i i've never heard about like yeah i guess that's seeing the other side of the glass right right like, right so it, like how does that even can you kind of expand on that like toyota for example like so they actually feel bad for Right, right. For that, what they, yeah. Right, and I'm not saying the Toyota family. Yeah, we don't say Toyota family. We right, say whoever. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the families, like the the kids, they don't feel good about what their necessarily what their great grandfather or some uh, robber baron did, and they want to go and actively make a change. And sometimes, like this, could be doing something in the sustainability world. Uh, doing something in this world or doing something for uh, rights or indigenous rights or something like that. And they have to petition their family to move funds towards that way. And what happens is they can oftentimes get excommunicated uh, from their families. So it's, it's actually really, really rough on them. And I didn't, I had no idea <laughs> that I thought it was just sunshine and rainbows if you had money. And that's just not the case. Because they're even more cutthroat, I would imagine. It's not that it's even, it's not that they're more cutthroat. It's that the expectations that they have for their their children are a lot higher. Interesting. Yeah. And wow. And so, yeah, I, learning about that and, and addressing them and just, you know, trying to guide people. So when I say that, bring out, you know, truly how to be free, like, each and every person has these layers and layers of things that society has put on them. And what we each have to do, what our, what our goal is, is to peel back those layers and see what's really unique about ourselves. Because everybody sees something that someone else doesn't see because of however you lived. Your personal ex- experiences makes you unique. And the thing about genius Talent hits the target that no one else hits, but genius hits the target that no one else sees. It's not necessarily hard. It's just other people aren't seeing it. And each and every person has that genius inside them. And we're just trying to peel back these layers yeah, and really show what's a unique. And, yeah. That's a that's an accurate statement. Yeah. I think you're exactly right on that on that statement for sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so you spoke about the so you spoke to the UN about that then. Uh, yeah, about large scale organizational change. I could go into the theory. That's if, interesting. If y'all want, that's really interesting. Do you want to go into the theory? Yeah, I can go into it. So, yeah. uh, if you've read things like *Sapiens* or Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're going to understand some of this. But it's a theory is by this guy um, Claire Graves, and it's essentially it essentially says that. Society tends to alternate between self-sacrifice and self-expression. And each time it, it grows in complexity, uh, through it, every time technology changes, these alterations grow in complexity. So you're moving from maybe a individualistic uh, hunter-gatherer that's 
out running, you know, such and such. Then you move into a tribe of elders. Then you move into maybe a, a good example would be the conquerors or, or a gang of some sort that's doesn't really necessarily value life, but also do, is no longer afraid of the environment. Doesn't look at the environment like it's a god or whatnot. And then you move into this conformist where oftentimes when you see these sort of layers, these self-sacrificing conformist layers where there's some sort of rule book that everyone has to conform to and people are born into their position professionally and personally. So you see this with caste systems. So you see that in America, you see that in India, they have these caste systems that people really can't get out of. Then you, you start seeing societies move away from that to this meritocracy where the janitor can be the CEO. The problem is it can often become this greed for the sake of greed. So numbers for the sake of numbers. You just want the numbers to go up. We're not really thinking about it, which eventually will get lonely because you're looking at people as numbers and not people. Right. And then you we can move into uh, like this egalitarian phase where uh, you see this in organizations where they move from doing a having bosses to move into a flat organization. A good example of this is Morningstar or, or Zappos with their holacracy, where you have a boss's organization that's flat. The problem with these sort of organizations is if people don't think like you, you have to get rid of them. And so if you're a country, you can't really do that. What do you do when you can't get rid of people? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. Right. Like, what do you do? Like, schools have this problem. Like, you can't get rid of every public schools have this problem. They can't get rid of every kid. And uh, a lot of times we look at people say, okay, charter schools as an example of better schools, but charter schools can pick and choose which kids they get. And public schools can't. And they can't necessarily get rid of them unless they, like, have disciplinary problems. But you see that. So what do you do when you have to build a system that can handle all these different types of groups. And we're just now getting to that point where we're figuring that out. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. Seems like you spent a lot of time <laughs> working on that, huh? <laughs> ah, yes. That was most of your 20s or? Yeah, so it was most of my 20s. Um, so the way I look at electronic systems and engineering systems, uh, and this is going to sound woo-woo, no, it's fine. It, it, it's fine. I'm just saying. It is going no, to sound it's rude. just me and you in this right, room. Right. You know, you're fine. No one else is listening to this. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just the masses. Right, just the masses. The way I see engineering systems. So everything in the world is energy. And as an engineer, you have to use your, the root word of engineer is engine, which is like the same word as ingenuity. And all you can do is build environments microenvironments to use that energy's nature to move some way. So to do some work or not do some work. And those microenvironments exist inside of macroenvironments. Mm -hmm. And so and to give you a good example, I can build this cell phone. It operates perfectly in this, the air, which is the outside macroenvironment. But as soon as I put it into water, it stops acting properly because the microenvironment that we've created for it is not designed for a larger water macro environment. And another example is just a, 
us putting on clothes or jackets. We're making a microenvironment around us to protect us from this macro environment. And you see the same, the same thing happens with people. And oftentimes the environment, people are becoming things because of what their environment, the system itself is forcing them to become. Like this is the best way for them to react in this system. Interesting. Yeah. I totally believe that. 100%. Yeah. That's not woo-woo. Yeah, I could have I could have made it more woo woo. No, no, no. That, like I, I go that route. It's interesting that you say that because like last year, mm-hmm. uh, I I just posted this on my my Insta. Mm-hmm. If you want to follow me, it's Thriller X. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just posted on my Insta, but I uh, I was talking about how last year around this time I had the idea for the Austin Bitcoin Club, mm-hmm. and I haven't even met Keon or Kyle. Then like two months later, I bought the domain. Mm-hmm. Right, Austin Bitcoin Club. Yeah. And then it wasn't until like July, I think we even, me and Kyle met, mm-hmm. June, July, somewhere around there, me and Kyle met. And then I quit my job in June or July, one of those, I forget. Wow. And then we started Pleb Lab, I think like October. That's been like. So that's what I'm telling you. Like the idea came around this time last year. Mm-hmm. And then like all that happened. But that just, but that was a product of what you just said, like the environment that I was in. Right last year right. and then kind of seeing what was happening in Austin right seeing what was happening in Bitcoin right and no one else seeing what was going on here and what it was going to become right and me seeing it like this is boardwalk this is park place right. like this is this is going to be big mm-hmm. and no one's seeing it right you capitalize on that energy and that's like to me that is a, a engineer that's like what engineers do yeah and 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 I luckily you know you you still have to have a lot of luck and you still have to have a lot of uh you know, hustle and grind mm-hmm. and you have to meet the right people and all the other stuff that requires it to do. But if you at the end you, of the day, if you, if you, if you have the thought in your head, mm-hmm. it's just a thought. Right. Like it was for me last year around this time. Mm-hmm. It's just a thought. You can act on that thought. And things do happen. We wouldn't be here today if I didn't act on that no, thought. No, no, we wouldn't be here. And like you say, the the environment made it easier for you to get lucky. Exactly. Like, like you said, yeah. the environment made it way easier for yeah. me to get lucky. Like the progress you've had is amazing. Like you built Austin Big Club Club and I don't know, Bowman, it'd be a different thing. You know? Be a totally different be thing. A totally different thing. Yeah. <laughs> Some small city. Yeah, totally, totally. Totally different thing. So tell me how you came up with Moonbase 5 because you shifted away from this, right? right. When you were doing in your 20s and then you you moved into Moonbase 5. Exactly. Like, Actually, no. Moonbase 5 is what I was doing. In oh, okay. Oh, it was. Okay, cool, right. cool. So tell, tell us that story then. Yeah, so basically what happened was Moonbase 5, originally I wanted to a company called Moonshot. And what I was doing was I was going to schools and saying, hey, to a group of, of kids, say, hey, uh, basically project-based or, or project-based learning. So I will say, hey, kids, here's some amount of money. You can tell the group, uh, you can take out however much money you want, but you have to tell the group and the group can kick you out of the group. And what ended up happening was, was I was building a recommendation system for, for that. Actually, that got me, you know, talking to some of the people who, uh, John Mackey, like he founded Whole Foods. Austin is actually have a really big unschooling culture. A lot of education stuff is going on in Austin. Uh, but what ended up happening was because I was writing that book at the same time, 
And I kind of got off track in some ways, but the recommendation engine that I was building for basically saying how groups should go into which groups or recommending groups to different people uh, ended up becoming a analytic systems to look at how cultures were evolving, which is somewhat on the back burner. But then uh, some, I've got clients who wanted me to build that out and have that in different places. And so that's how Moonbase 5 <laughs> ended up created it. And I wanted it to be an investment firm, also have services somewhat similar to Palantir, which is uh, Peter Thiel's thing. Uh, but yeah, some, somewhat interest, somewhat similar to that. But as I was building out these quote-unquote GDP alternatives, so one thing about gross domestic product that people don't realize, like it was created to measure the throughput of a nation and not necessarily the well-being of a nation. Right. And the person who created it, I think it's Simon Kuznets, he was like, whatever you do, don't use this to measure the well-being of a nation. And that's exactly what we do. And so while I was building it, I was like, why? All of these systems that I'm seeing, why is the U.S. dollars holding on? I don't, I don't understand why the system hasn't, like, collapsed. And that's when I started thinking about Bitcoin as a hedge against that. This basically, the dollar can't collapse because the whole world is using it, or at least right now. It's, it's slowing down to collapse because the whole world is using it. But Bitcoin is the essentially the hedge against that. Like whenever it is collapses, that's the only way you can express a view in a market of shorting the dollar, really. Right. It's buying Bitcoin. Right. So how did you come up with, uh, well, that's how you came up with the first iteration of Moonbase, but the one that we're working here at Plug Lab. Oh, so the, and then, so with this, what we're working on, how I came up with that was, I was trying to figure out, A, how can more people get more Bitcoin? And two, why can't everyone be Michael Saylor? <laughs> like, why can't everybody be Michael Saylor? Right. Why can't everybody be Michael Saylor? I mean, I know not everyone has a billion dollars in a public company, but everybody has some money. And it's um, it's a little bit unfair that people with public companies can get a 0%, essentially 0% interest loan to buy Bitcoin, which is essentially a currency attack on the dollar. Yeah. And I was like, well, what if, the average person could do this? What if we could democratize this? And so I'm really looking at ways of how can we democratize people getting Bitcoin uh, easier? So if you're Bitcoin poor, how can we help you get more Bitcoin? And that's not my end goal with this. My end goal is not just for people to have more Bitcoin. My end goal is for people to basically be able to manage their own self-governments. So as people get Bitcoin, you're going to see Bitcoiners who have more Bitcoin than nation states. And so they're going to have a lot of the same problems that these families, these high net worth families are having now. And so how are they going to deal with that? Yeah. And no one's really thinking about that because they can do a lot of things. They could go the same route that these countries have gone. And if we don't build systems right now, that basically help manage that, we're just going to recreate the things that we don't want. And a lot of times what people don't understand is 
getting rid of what you don't want is not the same thing as getting what you do want. And we have to make sure that we build systems that properly manage rights, risk, and responsibilities in a way that everyone can actively self-actualize, actively evolve. And to give like a, a, a somewhat of an example, let's say you have a Bitcoin. You have a Bitcoin for your, your family. You, you move on. You have a kid. You don't want little Johnny spending all the Bitcoin to buy a Mustang. Okay, that's just a, a, a little example. But what are you going to do? How are the responsibilities for this Bitcoin? What, are, what is the stewardship for this Bitcoin? And what is the stewardship for your family? Mm-hmm. And that grows into the community. That grows into the society. And so that's what I'm really excited about is these new forms of government will exist because of Bitcoin. Yeah, that's, you hit on a couple of interesting points, but th- th- just to track back here to the that some of these Bitcoiners are going to have more Bitcoin than some nation states. Nation states. That just blew my mind uh, for a sec. It's probably why we see some of these like uh, relatively uh, high uh, Bitcoin worth people in mm-hmm. our space pushing for El Salvador and uh, what they're doing over there and making trips over there and doing all this kind of stuff, PR form. Uh, it's probably because they, <laughs> they, need, they need El Salvador to work. Or they don't have a they don't have a uh, they don't have a country that will protect them when, they, when the time does come, right? Well, if you have so much Bitcoin, so these a lot of these Bitcoins have more Bitcoins than in El Salvador. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, really, when you have that much money, money, money is. A, but would you feel safe in the United States as that person, or would you feel safe in El Salvador? As that person, yeah, I can feel safe if I if I had that much money, I can feel safe wherever I want to feel. I, I don't know. Yeah, don't you know, you can make your own safe. They could buy up a, a whole thing in Wyoming. I don't know and feel safe. Like, it, okay, for a government power, one being in El Salvador doesn't really protect you from quote unquote a government having that power. much Bitcoin scares the crap out of me. It really does. Yeah, it, it would it scare. It would scare. It would scare the. No, crap. that's a lot. That's a, like a, a lot of responsibility. Where do you keep all that Bitcoin? Yeah, like what do you do? What and a lot of them don't have kids yet. But that scares the crap out of me. What are they going to do? How do you pass it on? What you know? What's the right thing to do? What, yeah. what what decision do you make? Who do you invest in? Like, there's all of these things. What do you believe? Yeah. You know, and. Yeah. It has not really been thought about. And but these are problems that high net worth families are dealing are with dealing with now. now. Yeah, that you've talked to. Yeah. Right. For sure. And then the other other point I wanted to bring up was the um was like where where did this um this idea of like being Michael Saylor is such a great, <laughs> great line. Um but but it is true though, right? Mm-hmm. Like why does Michael Saylor get to do it? I mean, yeah, he has his own corporation, he's right. busted his ass over the years and decades, whatever. But still, like the average pleb should be able to, you know, right. get some Bitcoin yeah, and not have to put any dollars down if he right. wants to, right? Right. The average person should be able to, yeah, get a Bitcoin without having to put up, you know, their Bitcoin to get more Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, which is, is unfair. And I, I, I would say everyone has their unfair advantage. And what you have, the advantage you have as a pleb that you don't have as an organization is that you can move independently. Yeah, and so a lot of these plebs are going to have more Bitcoin than organizations. Like even if they could only get one, 
Yeah. There's a lot of organizations that ain't going to get one. Yeah. And so this, we're still really early. And that's the that's the unfair advantage that you have as a player. For Michael Saylor to do it, Michael Saylor was able to do that as an organization because he controls the whole organization. Most organizations don't run that way. And so what, what you have as an individual right now, in, in this time in particular, is the ability to gain digital, essentially digital real estate. Like there's only 21 million Bitcoin. You get to have something that is actually going to increase in value as the population increases in value. Yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a no, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> like when I explain this to my normie friends, they're just like, "Yeah, but the U.S. dollar, bro." And I'm like, "Dude, you just, uh, yeah, I just don't." This is why I don't go out to eat with them anymore. And 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 I get I get what you're saying, the U.S. dollar. And I I understand I'm it. Just like, but they they don't understand that. Basically, it's like almost basic math. But I don't like to say that. But what they don't understand is that the U.S. is essentially making the pie, the slice of the pie that they get, smaller by making the whole pie bigger. So you might say, let's you you have let's say you have one slice of pie, and you're thinking, oh, I I'm good. I have I have this much pie. Well, your percentage of the whole pie is going down because the 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 apple pie <laughs> is getting so much so much larger and so the value of your slice of apple pie is actually losing value relative to the size of the apple pie. Tristan would love this uh, conversation <laughs> about pie. It's an inside joke for Pleb Lab who's listening right now. <laughs> They know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> no, that's uh, no, that's such a great point. Um, but yeah, did, did, did when you came up with this idea, mm -hmm. did, did did you think that um, did you think it was going to be this hard? Because I I know I like we've been at it for two weeks now, and I see that I see I see how I see difficult. how intense you get, and yeah. I see how difficult it is. These fucking payment processors, man. I'll say it for you. These fucking <laughs> payment processors. My God, please just get on board with fucking Bitcoin already. Right. You suck. You suck at your jobs. You payment processors, you suck. Get on board with Bitcoin. Please. Please. <laughs> please. Or just get out of the way. Just get out of the way. I'm tired of y'all. Tired of dealing with all you payment processors. Fuck. Why do we have to deal with them? Uh, Why do we have to deal with them, Thomas? <laughs> You know, that's a good, that's a good question. And I think the payment, one, the payment process is being slow. It's almost in the same way like Bitcoin being slow. Bitcoin's not slow. It's fast. Bitcoin is fast. But I'm saying Bitcoin in its development is somewhat slower. And like how it's adding new features into it. So okay. in that sense. And so what the fiat world is also in a way, is being slow about adding new features to it and trying to protect their, like, sources and whatnot. But what's going to happen is they're going to all have to switch us sometime. We're just so early that we have to build the rails to do this. And I knew it would be hard, but I'm also wanted it to, to be hard. Because, really? Yeah, because if it's hard, that means there's barriers of entry. And if we're able to scale those those barriers of in, of entry, if we're able to scale all of these challenges, 
one, you get to grow as a person. And there's a lot of things you learn about yourself. There's a lot of things you learn about the world. But two, then that, that means I can build the rails to help all these other people get on. That's true. Yeah. And so I, I'm always in, I, I, I love a challenge. Like I, if you're going against me, I kind of don't care. Like, <laughs> like I, I really don't. I love it. I, I don't. I, you going against me means that you get to, I get to bring out of myself the best version and you going against me is helping me bring that version out. Damn, it's so based. Yeah. You know, you know, you know what I, you know what I love? Did you ever see, do you watch a lot of basketball or no? Yeah. Did you watch a lot of basketball? Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, um, I'll probably post it on Twitter later, but it was, it was that quote, like one of my favorite basketball players was Kobe Bryant, but he had this quote where, um, He's like Shaq's interviewing him, mm-hmm. right? And like Shaq's like him and Shaq finally made up, and they're already both retired or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Shaq's like asking him, he's like, "Did you know like I was gonna leave to Miami?" And he's like, "No, I was gonna." Kobe's like, "I was gonna go to Chicago." <laughs> he's like, "You were?" Shaq's like, "You were gonna go to Chicago?" He's like, "Yeah, we were already looking at it. me and my wife were looking at it." Wow. And then he's like, "Oh," Shaq's like, "Oh, I didn't know that." Like, yeah, I, I tried going back there. They didn't want me, so I went to Miami. So he went to Miami, mm-hmm. and then once he went to Miami, then Kobe, like, resigned to L.A. or whatever. Oh. And then and then Kobe said, this is what I thought was interesting. Kobe said, he goes, yeah, so I, when I went back to Los Angeles, it was game on. Mm. And then Shaq looked at him and was like, yeah, it was game on. And then, like, they both knew that it was to see who was going to win the most championships after that. Yeah. Like between those two guys because they were so competitive with each other. Right. Like it wasn't like they were like, they were just like brothers but they were competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, what was interesting is like Kobe's like, he's like, yeah, when you won that first championship, I knew you were going to win one. Mm-hmm. He's like, I knew you were going to go to Miami and win at least one championship. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I wasn't upset. He's like, but what I did like was that everybody was saying, so you see, you shouldn't have gave away Shaq. Mm-hmm. This is what you get for keeping Kobe because Kobe's not great. Oh. He sucks. Like, he's not good. You should have just traded Kobe. You mm-hmm. should create Kobe now. You don't need him. You can't win with just Kobe. Yeah. Like, you should have just kept Shaq. And Kobe, and this is what Kobe says. Kobe goes, I wanted that. Mm-hmm. He's like, I needed that. I love that. I, he goes, right after you won that championship, the next day I was out there shooting basketballs. He's like, every single day. Yeah. He's like, I use that as that, that anger that, that fueled me. He's right. like, He's like, he's like, <laughs> and then Shaq goes, man, good. Cause I needed that too. <laughs> I needed that championship. Yeah. Uh, but that was like one of my favorite quotes that Kobe ever said was that whenever somebody said that he couldn't do something or somebody like made fun of him or, mm-hmm. or somebody that kind of like gave him that like little edge, like that just like turned him into like a complete like machine. Yeah. And me, since like an early age, I don't know where I got it from, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of the same way. Like, so whenever somebody says, and I could think of it like multiple times in my life. Right. There was a, there was a, a guy in, in like when I was working at like a web hosting mm-hmm. company here in town and uh, he was, I was reading, I was like going to get my Cisco certification. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about it, but like I was just reading the, the manual and he's like, Cisco. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like he just said that. Like uh, I was like, I was like, what did you say? He's like, you can't do that. He's like, you're 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 doing web hosting. Stuff. Yeah, like, you can't do Cisco stuff. Yeah, just like it was just like he was it, a manager there. It doesn't even make sense. Like, yeah, was, but he literally said I couldn't yeah. do like Cisco stuff. That's dumb. And like, I went and got my Cisco certification. Yeah, like 
But like, it was just like those type of things. Like when somebody says that to me, yeah, it's just like, it fucking fuels me, dude. Yeah, Like it's like the thing, I, I kind of like it now. Like at this point, like it's like the thing that I will just do until like I'm like skin and bones just to prove them wrong. Right. Yeah. And I love it. I actually like, it fuels me just like it fuels Kobe. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that makes me like a, a crazy person, but it's a thing that that's the only kind of motivator that like drives me. Kyle knows this about me. But yeah, you know, it's kind of what I love about Kyle. He's kind of the same way too. I've I've been that way. The only problem with that. <laughs> Tell me what it is, please. I need to stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> the It's bad. I know it's bad. It's not it's not necessarily bad because you get to the end goal of being com- competitive. Uh but what do you do when you no longer want to be angry? I'm not angry. But no longer want to feel, quote unquote, angry. Like, you know, that rage. It's not really rage. It's more like. Uh, okay, fire. It's fire for sure. Okay. It's not really fire. It's more like. Um, it's more like. Um, it's embarrassment in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassment. It's anger in the beginning. Embarrassment. It's fuel. And then it just becomes a goal. Mm-hmm. And then I even forget why I wanted the goal in the first place. I just know it just needs to be, it just needs to hit. Right. And then I forget why the goal was even there. But that's what I'm saying. Like, what? Like, it, I, like there's been some times where somebody has said something like that yeah. and I, I'll just go and do it. Right. And then I realize, like, why did I do this again? Yeah. And then it becomes like, oh, that's why. Yeah. It, but it's like, it's one of, that's happened to me multiple times in my life. My younger brother, mm-hmm. he's completely the opposite. Like, he's competitive just to be competitive. Yeah. Like, me like he's just like, like Jordan, like he's just be he just wants to be competitive and everything. Right. Me, I, I don't. I'm not competitive at all. Like yeah. I, I'm like the least competitive guy you ever meet. Like I don't care. But like if like if somebody calls me out on something and says I can't do something, mm-hmm. like you know, or says that this can't be done mm-hmm. and you can't do it, car or something. Like, like somebody literally calls me out and says I can't do something, like and it's personal and they're not just like joking around. Right. Uh, then yeah, I'll go prove them wrong just because like. That 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 little kind of thing. It's kind of like the Marty McFly chicken thing. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things. So what can, what can happen with that is it's dangerous. It's dangerous, but also like if you know you can do it, you may not do it because you you don't feel like you have to prove to them anything. And so what I've had to try and transition myself because sometimes you see this with like tennis players and and sports in general. You be like they'll throw the game they were winning. But then they knew that they could win, and now they don't. They might even feel bad about beating beating an opponent, like Tony Romo. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I, I think I, that's what Tony Romo had. It, it, it's a lot of there's a lot of people who have that sort of mentality. I think Romo has that. That's why I like Dak, bro, because Dak has that killer instinct. He might have killer instinct. Romo had a lot of skills, though. He Romo did have a lot of skills. He, he lot just of didn't skills. have that killer instinct, right? And how do you get around it? And I, for me, getting around that was saying, hey, I'm trying to become the best version of me that I can become. And by you competing against me and beating you, maybe I could beat my inner self. And you giving me a a bigger challenge, a new thing to beat about myself. And that's what I love because that race is infinite. I can run this race forever. I can just keep going, trying to beat myself. More and more. I need to read your book, Thomas. (laughs) I need to read that book. Make that book. Do you have that book? No, I need to make that book. You make that book and I'll read it. And then I can I can I can do I can get on that kumbaya. I can't get on the old Kobe stuff I need to get off of because it's it it'll get you going though. 
Oh, it, it's worked. It works. <laughs> it works. There, there's a there's a story we can't tell it on this podcast because yeah. we'll get in trouble. But there's a story. But you get tired of making everybody an enemy. Making an enemy. No, I don't have enemies. No, but you got to make you. You're saying like you're making a problem. Basically, like this is a problem. I got to make it. And I got to focus on it and I got to defeat it. <laughs> no, it's not even a problem. No, it, no. It's like the same thing like Kobe said. Yeah. It's the same thing like Kobe said where he said like like Shaq won one. Uh-huh. And he said that everybody hated him. Right. And they wanted him traded. They wanted him gone. It's the same thing. And so when I saw that, I was like, wow, dude, that's the same shit that I have all right. the time. Like, Yeah, you got to feel like an outsider, like a, a this, like you're going against the world, like the, all the odds yeah, are against you. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. That's probably what it is. Yeah, that's yeah. I know I know exactly. That's a what Bitcoiner mentality. It's not just a Bitcoin mentality. It's an entrepreneur mentality. Is that what that is? Yeah. And it's like it's it's people that want to strive and, and do things. But what I what happens when you you beat them all? <laughs> like, I don't want to ever beat them all. Like if I beat them all, like that's why I had to shift the the in, to the inner game because I can never beat myself. Like it's just gonna get. There's a new thing about me that I need to beat always. Yeah, I don't know. That's how I'm looking at it, at least. Yeah, I need to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, real quick, um, mm-hmm. what um, uh, what what have you uh, you've only been here a couple weeks at Pueblo, but what have you? Learn. What do you like about it, I guess? The co- has, has Super annoyed you yet? Or do you Su- like Super? Super is absolutely amazing. He is the <laughs> glue of Pleb Lab. Really? You think so? Super Testnet? Super Testnet is yeah, the glue. He, is. he really is <laughs> he, the glue. He's the glue. Love that man. I love him to death. Yeah. Uh, he's so smart, right? He's super smart and also very lovable. Super lovable. And he's willing to go out of his way to help people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'll also call you out if, you know, something's an issue. And, uh, but he's also willing to think about things in original ways. So, you know, definitely love it. But what I love about Pleb Lab and part of the reason why I'm here is the vibes. Like, really? You like the vibes? Really? The vibes. I feel like I annoy the crap out of you. No, no, no. No? No, no. Not no. yet? No, no. Give it some time. I mean, I just put on headphones if I need to focus. <laughs> But me, by the way, people, me and Thomas share desk. Like we're right next <laughs> right to each next other, to, yeah. so I'm his, I'm his desk buddy. Yeah, but the camaraderie here is really strong. Yeah, and the ability to bounce ideas off of each other right. is there, and so you get in that serendipity that essentially is going to increase the rate that each of us grows, and so you just can't get that everywhere. Yeah, that's one thing. Like me, uh, you being here now, I'm learning a lot from you. I'm mm. just stealing all your brain, bro. You don't even know. I'm just grabbing it all. Steal it. I hope so. I'm going. It's just sucking it all. Uh, I learned a lot. I have learned a lot from everybody here. Mm. Like it's probably why, like it's just compounding at this point, right? Uh, and then everybody that comes through, Kyle, I know Kyle too. Yeah, like Sam is another person I've learned a lot from. Keon, John. Yeah, everybody's super. Yeah. Even Tristan, that young man's taught me a lot. Right. Um, just because everybody has their different like uh, strengths or mm-hmm. even like a, a like what do you call that in like in the video game where it has all their little spells stats. and stats and yeah. stuff? Like, everybody has their little thing and it like everybody has their strengths. And it's it's pretty fascinating when you work with a bunch of what I would call Bitcoin geniuses, man. Right. Like it's pretty amazing. I, I I'm probably the the probably the stupidest one in the room, 
and I'll gladly say it. No. Like I'm, I'm clearly am. I know I am, but I'm learning fast, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you know, and I hate when people say that. I do not like when people say I'm humble, bro. No, you can be humble, but everybody has, like you say, their strengths, and so your strengths are just different. Oh yeah, they're you they're know? different, but y'all's intellectual. No, you, it's, it's just crazy. It still takes intellect it's, to do what you do. Like uh, you're thinking about things. Like when you explain to me about like how different music industries were working and how you were seeing the music oh, yeah. industry. Oh, that kind and of I, stuff. That's just like that's not smart you, though. That's just no. My, you're you're you're. That's you're, my. Uh, you're minimizing your abilities. That's not smart. That's just uh, car. That's just what car knows. Okay, excuse me. It's just what car okay. knows. That's not like smart though. Yeah, it is. Is no, it? Yeah, I don't that, think it is. that's it. Well, remember what I was saying. Genius sees things that other people don't see, and that's your genius right there. Oh. You're seeing that no one else was in there was going to say those those things or see it in that way. Oh, okay. And so, like, that's where your smarts, that's where your intellect shines right there. It's like, interesting. You have an emotional intellect, and you're also very like, uh, how do I say, empathetic. And so that em empathy is allowing you to see, okay, this doesn't feel right. Let's try a different way. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. See, I'm learning even more. Dude, <laughs> this book, we need it to come out. But before the book comes out, uh -huh. Moonbase 5 is going to come out. Um, we're doing the hackathon first, I think is the plan. And then after that, we're going to do some more announcements with Moonbase 5. I, I can't wait, man. I I'm like super ecstatic to to like get this launch, to get you out there. Uh, like, man, dude, I, I I'm like super pumped. I yeah, I'm I can't, so pumped. I can't, I'm pumped. <laughs> I can't wait to see what we do. Yeah, I already I have Logan coming in on Friday. Okay. We want to do. We're gonna do the Pub Lab thing. We gotta do, but I'm, I want to talk to him. I want I want him to talk to you too. Okay. So we can go over like um, kind of some ideas for Moonbase Five footage. Got it. Because we're going to the moon. We're actually gonna shoot on the moon. Shoot it. So uh, we're just gonna do a lunar landing. Uh, <laughs> Get Thomas out there and mm -hmm. some like astronaut gear. Um, yeah, we're, this is this is what we do here at Plub Lab. We shoot for the moon and we we actually hit it. So, uh, do you got anything else you want to share? That's it. You can follow me at Intense Thomas on Twitter and all the socials. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. See you soon.